Totally Football Show. Today, FA Cup quarters featuring Wolves, Watford and Magic of the Cup Alert. A man named Potter enjoying amazing spells against a powerful, bald adversary. We check in on that and the Premier League as Marco Silva ends his top six hex and discuss whose finish was the most amazing, Leo Messi at Betis or Paul Scholes at Oldham. Plus, Champions League draw, not so hot takes and we party like it's 1991 with Michael Cox's Flip Reverse It. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. In the pod today, listener, Ian Irving, Northwest correspondent for the Premier League. Ian, good to have you back. Hello, James. Have you been? Good, thank you. You? I'm well, thank you for asking. Michael Glad Cox is it. here. Zonal underscore marking on Twitter and with the name all over a brand new book called Zonal Marking. When's it out, Michael? May the 30th. Michael is also the owner and inventor of the Michael Cox's Flip Reverse It time machine, which, Daniel, you're going to be stepping into later on. I am. That's ever so exciting. Uh, Daniel Story with us, a man whose entire career is heading towards a conclusion. Yes, hopefully slowly, more slowly than you Right, no, but, uh, lots of conclusions. Yeah. yeah, you know. <laughs> I see, Michael, that your notes have got exclamation marks on them this week. Well, only one. Yeah, okay. I was just mentioning beforehand that I make notes on all the Premier League games every week. And I very scarcely use exclamation marks. What kind of thing merits an exclamation mark? Like an incredible goal or, you know, something, a kind of comedy moment. Okay. But this week it was Samir Nasri winning a 50-50 tackle. Oh. Busted out the exclamation mark for that. (laughs) Exciting. Mm. Exciting. So that was in West Ham's remarkable game, which was one big exclamation mark from my (laughs) point of view. Against Huddersfield, heartbreaking match. We'll we'll talk about that later on because I wanted to begin, if that's all right, with the FA Cup quarterfinals, uh, which saw, of course, Man City go through, Man United go out at the hands of Wolves, Watford beat Crystal Palace, and Brighton get past Millwall on penalties. Shall we begin down in South Wales, where City were moving the ball around, passing silkily, glorious finishes? Swansea City, that is, Ian. <laughs> see what you did there, James. Very clever. With 69 minutes, they were still... 2-0 down. Yeah, it but was see, phenomenal. It wasn't what we expected at all from a team lying 15th in the Championship. No, not at all. You expected it to be far more of a procession, really. And certainly, you know, looking at the, the scores that City have had in the competition so far this season, um, you know, they, they've blown people away. And in, the, and in the Carabao Cup, of course, as well. But in the end, the quality told. We can talk about VAR. I thought Pep Guardiola's approach was lovely at the end, sort of apologising <laughs> like it was his decision not to use uh, VAR in that game. But... Um, yeah, I, like you say, I think I think Swansea's so impressive. Yeah. Right. Matt Grimes' penalty put Swansea ahead, and then within half an hour they were 2-0 up with that wonderful sweeping team move, finished off by the man who was roundly mocked by everybody for his uh, penalty-taking skills just a week ago, Selina. Yeah, and that's the football that, that Graham Potter wants to play. He's been handed a bit of a... Bit of a hospital pass with Swansea because the owners are, are, are starved the club of investment since going down. He's had to play, bring a whole host of under twenty three players through. But as at Ostersunds, he's he's doing that job and and making a team that's great in the sum of its parts. They are struggling in the Championship at the moment, but it's a hard, tough league with with a very young squad and a very thin squad. So things like this just means they can just really you know roll the dice and have a go at it. The difference being for Man City, the ability to bring on players like Aguero and Sterling, but even then, they required a certain amount of fortune. Yeah, a fortunate penalty that went in off the goalkeeper. The final goal was offside, and of course, there's been some controversy about the fact VAR wasn't used there. I thought Bernardo Silva really was the man who got City going. Who um, at the start of the season, I don't think he really was in City's 
first 11, but I think has been their best player this season, can play on the right, but is, is much better in the centre. And he scored one goal and, and set up Aguero's winner. So, yeah, I think he's um, maybe still hasn't nailed down a very obvious place in the side if, if David Silver and Kevin De Bruyne are fit. But like I say, I think he's got to be forced into the side somewhere. Pep, mm. Pep finds a way now with Bernardo Silva. That, that's been the one major sort of development in the second half of this season that... Obviously, Bernardo was playing anyway because of the the issues that De Bruyne has had this season, David Silva to a lesser extent. But now Pep will find a way. If it's on the right wing, he'll be out on the right wing. If it's in the middle of midfield, he'll be in the middle of midfield. He wants him in his team all the time. And I'm struggling to remember a manager speaking in more glowing terms about a player this year than the way that, that Pep's been about Bernardo Silva. And of course, he got that new contract last week as well, just to reward him for what's been... Like Michael says, he's been City's best player. He's been absolutely exceptional this year. Mm. First time that City have come back from two goals down and one under Pep. They're never two goals down, are they? I suppose it's true. <laughs> Can't have but, happened many times. Yeah. No, but yeah, I mean, that is... Top teams find a way, don't they? And and we're looking at this City team now, and that Q word keeps getting used, of course, in conjunction with them, with all the progress that they're making in these different competitions. And games like Swansea when you're two goals down you come back and a penalty shout goes your way the penalty ends up going in off the post and the back of the goalkeeper and then you you score an offside winner as well you start to think that that these things are, are sort of written for you don't you and and for city it just seems to be going that way for Brighton. them at the moment and brighton coming up in the in the semi finals the key word though ian just for anyone who wasn't across that quadruple quadruple yeah right which they're now openly talking about well, it's funny. It, <laughs> we've tried as journalists to speak to the players about the quadruple chances, the Q word. And anyone over the age of 21 has said, well, a long way to go game by game. Anyone under the age of 21 has gone, yeah, we can win the quadruple, which is quite amusing because it, you know, it sort of shows you the, the sort of way that experience can wear people down. I know years ago at Old Trafford, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson banned the use of the Q word uh, in he? any media interviews whatsoever. He banned all his players what from about the talking T about word? it. Were they allowed to use that one? I don't think so. But this was after after the T word had been a, a, been achieved. So this right. was, I think, two thousand and nine ish, maybe something like that. Okay, absolutely no way you could use the Q word to the extent that if you use the Q word in an yep. interview, yep. the press officer would step in and say you have to take that answer out. Really? But this isn't an outside chance anymore. I mean, they've won one trophy and the other three, they're massive favourites. The FA Cup has opened up for them completely. Obviously, Wolves are a very good side, but you'd fancy City to win that. The Premier League, they're nailed on favourites and they're the best team in the Champions League. And mm. not only has no one ever won the quadruple before, but no one's ever got to this stage of the season still having a chance to win it. Is Every, that right? Everyone's been knocked out of a competition before this point. By the way, all sorts of ramifications, and we'll touch on some of them later on, about what happens if people win cups and that kind of thing. Dale Johnson pointing out that Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United and Spurs might want to root for Man City in the FA Cup because if they don't win this competition, that means that the sixth place side in the Premier League will be in the second qualifying round of the Europa League. How do you work that one out? That means they'd start on July the 25th. Yeah, Dale is a colleague of mine at ESPN and he knows more than anyone could ever wish to know about coefficients and qualifications and Nations League he's excellent on. Really? Honestly, he's the man to go to for that. As I say, we've got more of that kind of thing when we touch (laughs) on the, the Champions League draw. What about the fact that we're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup and two of the grounds had VAR and the other two didn't. I, I sympathise with people that are, are annoyed about it now because it does seem at this stage that um, 
the only reason not to have VAR in the FA Cup quarterfinals is if it was a, a logistical difficulty or impossibility. And I don't think that's the case at any of the the teams. I think the Liberty Stadium can is perfectly capable of hosting that technology. Um, the reason is at the start of the season, VAR was never supposed to be a major part of the FA Cup. It was The FA announced it was going to be used as a trial in selected matches. Uh-huh. But inevitably... That that has become in every Premier League ground, and the problem is, is the further you go in the competition, the more likely there are to be Premier League grounds, and therefore the more we associate the FA Cup with as a competition that has VAR in it. Well, also if it affects the outcomes, it goes from being just a trial to being actually a major yeah, determining factor. Um, and the fact that Swansea go out and arguably maybe could have gone to extra time or something with the use of VAR, Brighton had they not gone through on penalties, yeah. would have had a lot of things to say. Mm. I, I realise I'm saying this as a major. Uh, opponent of the AR. <laughs> yeah. However, but it's the all on it's an all the all or nothing rule and and yeah. you know I get pretty weary with people kind of um discussing the the death of the FA Cup and mourning things rather than just getting on and enjoying it. But I can see why it it's it, it appears quite demeaning to have a competition where even at the quarter final stage where it really does matter to to teams you've kind of got a half and half solution. It does look messy. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, let's talk about that Millwall-Brighton game, which sounds like it was a pretty amazing football match. I'm, I missed it. I went to see a film called White Crow. It's all about ballet. Uh, but anyway, and I come back and I discovered that Brighton were two goals down with two minutes left in the game, Daniel, but still went through. How? Well, partly because they scored with... You know, with two or three minutes to go, which then energised them. And at that point, Millwall, and to be fair, Brighton were coasting towards the 2 0 win. Uh, and then they got a free kick in the last minute. Solly March, I'll be generous and say, drifted it in because it was a dreadful free kick. And uh, I honestly, there, there are some mistakes that goalkeepers make, and you think, well, I can see at least what's happened there. I can see what you've got wrong. Uh, I, I don't know what David Martin got wrong because Good he just. Chap. It, it's all. It would. I, what I, I suspect what has happened is he, he's come to it and he's mean, meaning to catch it, and then he thinks, actually, do you know what? Let's not take a risk. I'll punch it, and in the end, he gets halfway there and just kind of flaps at it, and it just goes right through his hands. But it's such a such a basic mistake. He's Millwall's reserve keeper. Yes, mm. and and then yeah, and then obviously the game then goes to penalties, and very similar to the to the Kepa thing with Chelsea. When you have that controversy around a goalkeeper, you suddenly feel like, yeah, you're not going to save penalties here, and. Yeah, and Brighton went through. Although Glenn Murray missed the first one for, yep. for Brighton to help him out. But yeah, Brighton goes through into the FA Cup's last four for the first time since they finished as runners-up to Man United in far away 1983. Different times, Michael. Yes. People led different lives. <laughs> uh, also in the FA Cup's last four, Wolves and Watford. Watford, who saw off Crystal Palace 2-1. Uh, in emotional scenes, amid emotional scenes, for Aurelio Gomez making what is surely his last appearance at the Vic. And probably his last home appearance of his career. He's intimated that he's, he's 38 now and not only is he going to leave Watford, but that'll probably be, be that for right. him. Will they not bring him on as an 89th minute sub in the final home game? Oh, that's nice. Maybe so. They could do that, couldn't they? Maybe so. He was in floods of tears yesterday. It would seem a shame if he's wasted those tears <laughs> right now. Well, he'll yeah, be prepared next time emotionally. To be honest, he? he probably will play again because if, with the league as it is mm. and them in the semi-finals of the FA Cup, I doubt they'll risk... I wouldn't be surprised if Javier Gracia picked a reserve team pretty much... For the FA for the, Cup, say? Yeah, 
Uh, no, for the for his kind of oh, for final four or five league oh, right. Premier League games, he's already did it against. Uh, I was going to say, but Gomez has been used in the cup, yeah. So he wouldn't be, presumably he wouldn't be putting Foster in for the semi and final, would he? I don't know. There's always a thing with goalkeepers where they the cup goalkeeper then gets shifted out for the final because if he was the best goalkeeper at the club, he'd be in the team for every Premier League game, and it's an FA Cup final. So it's a test of a manager's resolve, then, yeah. when you get to the final and you've played a reserve keeper. All I the way know through. so little about Javi Gracia, but he seems like the kind of man who would be true. To his reserve keeper. Maybe. I think he's quite a pragmatic manager, though. Oh, and right. Maybe. I mean, Foster's had a really good season. That's true. So it'd be a shame to, to not use a really good goalkeeper in a, in a cup final or cup semi-final. But Aurelio Gomez is a really good goalkeeper as well. He's He sometimes looks good, I would say. He cried, Michael. Yeah. He's a, he's a bit too spectacular for my liking. Right. Do you think Pep Guardiola's a man of his word? No. No, okay, fine. <laughs> Why? Well, he played Edison in the League Cup final and Murich had played oh, yeah. all the way through. That's yeah. the kind of thing, isn't it? I thought that was harsh. All right, what about Wolves? They did use their reserve keeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they defeated, and they could have, to be fair, with the way United played, they could have had me in goal probably. And yeah. 2-1 victory for Wolves and the worst performance that United have had so far under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, is that fair? Easily. But Easily. we'll come on to them shortly because, first of all, let's give Wolves some love. Yeah, Ruben Neves and Jao Martino for me. And and also Raul Jimenez as well, who's becoming something of a top six slayer, isn't he? He seems to have his best games. Anyone who plays uh, FPL will know that as well because um, leave him on your bench at your, pe- at your peril when he's playing against one of the top six. But they're just so impressive, aren't they? They're so assured. I mean, going back to the game at Old Trafford uh, against United in the league, um, obviously with Mourinho in charge and all that sort of stuff but Wolves were so impressive then as well they asserted themselves on the game they controlled the midfield uh, and a lot of the things that went well for them that day against United happened again at the weekend and I just think that, that Neves and Matinho for a promoted side coming into the Premier League is one hell of a midfield and so many matches this season those two have, have stood out so much and there's a lot more than that to like about Wolves as well but, right. but when they've got control over a game like that um, and then they're just better than United, pure and simply, you know. Jimenez with his 15th of the season, a wonderful turn, what, wonderful finish on that. But United's midfield was pretty good. They had uh, Pogba, Herrera and Matic. What, why were they so easily dominated? I think Wolves are excellent without the ball. I mean, they've got the, the fifth best defensive record in the league, only the 13th best attack, which basically shows you what they're all about. And this system that they play, the basically 5-3-2 without the ball they're really really clever at the way they show the opposition down one flank and basically box them in so they can't get out and United just didn't create anything really I think 2-1 was actually slightly flattering for them not really much happened in the first half but after half time when Wolves had opportunities to counter-attack they were excellent and uh, I guess the big beneficiaries of the the switch from 3-4-3 to 3-5-2 to have been the forwards, Jimenez and, and Jota, who combined so well. I mean, that goal they scored against Chelsea last week was, mm. was fantastic and obviously both got on the score sheet here. I think United should have stopped that Jimenez goal, though, really. I mean, that was sort of emblematic of their performance, really. He walked, was it Matinho, I think, set him up. He, he walked through a couple of, of players, maybe three, and then Jimenez sort of trying to find his his yard, find his little space to get the shot away. You know, United had plenty of opportunities to stop that. And that, that for me, sort of summed up exactly what was wrong. They just seemed to be lacking a bit that intensity and, um, you know, a little bit of sort of spark had, had gone out of United in that game. Moutinho mm. is a brilliant player. I mean, he's he's been a really top-class player for Portugal over the years. And this season, every time I've seen Wolves, he's just dominated things. And I always think of him as a little bit of a Xavi figure, kind of not particularly mobile and just stays deep and sprays passes. But that was more Iniesta, that kind of slalom away from opponents on the edge of the box. It was brilliant. 
Beautiful. I think the the only lingering, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is one of the things he's done as Manchester United manager is he said, look, if we lose a game or we play badly, just move on. Let's just move on straight away. And he does that in every post match press conference. He says, don't worry about it. We're moving on. The only lingering thing for United is that uh, I think it was Ander Herrera after the game that was just talking about the low energy levels and saying how hard they've been working and. Um, maybe that's a, a slight damnation of training under Jose Mourinho that they're not quite 100%. feeling at it. 100%. Um, but it's something that Solskjaer is going to have to change because they are going to have to be very upbeat. Then, well, that was a ch- that was the biggest change. You know, we're talking about them winning games and scoring goals and all that. The biggest change was the running stats. You know, the intensity that United were playing at under Mourinho. Uh, compared to under the first few games under Solskjaer, it was night and day. You know, ev- every single match, almost without exception, they were outrunning the the opponents, they were outworking them. Even if they had less of the ball, they were still working harder without it. Um, and then you had this sort of period where that was fantastic for a, for a, a month or so, six weeks maybe, and then a little bit of a drop off in the stats. Muscle injuries, lots of muscle injuries around that first leg against PSG, which I think even Solskjaer said was a result of, of the increased workload during matches that they'd put in. Uh, and maybe now you're seeing a bit of a, a lack of intensity as well in the performance because of that. Uh, but this is good in a way for United, considering they've had back-to-back defeats, is that we actually will learn more about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's managerial capabilities and also the, the coaching staff around as well, because it's all gone so well. You know, I know there was the first leg against PSG, but they even had a, a chance to sort that out and they managed to in, in historic circumstances. But these last two matches have just looked like a drop-off and, and Wolves, I think Solskjaer said himself, was definitely undoubtedly a backward step so we're now going to learn more about his capabilities of being manager full time right 6th of April then it is 6th of April then it is Javi Gracia against Nuno Espirito Santo in the derby of the hipster favourite Latin managers um, both of whom I think are kind of getting touted as manager of the year candidates which one actually has a better squad to work with Oh, Wolves, definitely, yeah. Yeah, so what Javi Grassi is doing is actually more remarkable then than... than I mean, they've been the big overperformers of the season. If you go back and look at everyone's uh, pre-season predictions, most people had Watford about 18th, maybe 17th. So, you know, I mean, they're only one point uh, apart in the league, Wolves one point ahead. But yeah, I mean, Grassi's done a fantastic job. I still marginally fancy Wolves because I think they're better at preparing for big games and this is a big game and, Mm. you know, I expect Nuno will be looking towards that game in training even from now. You know, because they're they're not playing for too much in the Premier League compared to the, you know, what it would mean to Wolves to be at an FA Cup final. I was shocked that Watford stuck with Gracia last summer. To be honest, the way that they they chopped and changed managers because he'd not he'd not done fantastically well in the sort of latter stages of of last season. But it's been a it's been a real testament for them showing a bit of patience. The improvement in Watford and Decore and Capoue is you know again I'm talking about Wolves' midfield. They've been brilliant for Watford in the centre as well. Really, really good. And pretty much the whole team was was there last season. I mean, it was only Foster that came in who was returning. I know we've mentioned this before, but again, people talk so much about signings and this is a club who have stuck with the players, have stuck with the manager and having their best season for some time. I think the obvious reason that Nuno is kind of gets more of the praise is, is their record against the big six because you can look at that two ways. You can say, well, there's going to be an inevitable drop-off next season against those teams. Always Bigger teams always find a plan. They will always be stronger than Wolves next season. But... If Wolves sort their form out, and they've, you know, for example, Huddersfield did the double over them. If you add six points onto Wolves' total, you know they're not far off the top six, and that top six to top four is very tight. And Wolf, the start of the season, Wolves owners were saying, you know, we want to be in the Champions League in two or three years, and they were kind of scoffed at by me included. It's not a huge jump. 
If they can keep hold of Nuno and bring in, you know, one or two of either Mendes clients or non-Mendes clients, they're an attractive place to go for a player. Of course, to be in Europe next year as well through the league or even the FA Cup potentially. So that's only going to attract better and better players too, and give them more money, of course. Well, we'll be talking about the teams who are in Europe this year in a second or two here on the Totally Football Show. Hey, if you like men and women in lycra, you'll be excited that the new series of the Bradley Wiggins Show has just pedalled over the horizon. It's ready to download now. Every Monday, you can get your fix of what's going on in the world of two wheels as we gear up for the Tour de France and the World Championships. Anyway, Leeds, Sheffield United, Daniel. Yeah, second and third in the Championship. Sheffield United are the surprise club in a surprising championship season. Um, And yeah, they went to Ellen Road and they won and they were under pressure for the first half. Leeds, it's difficult to say they capitulated because every time we say that, Marcelo Bielsa gets very annoyed and then they respond and win a couple of games in a row but they had the goalkeeper sent off near the end uh, Pontus Janssen went off with an injury he's going to be out for three weeks which is massive even with the international break coming that, that's massive for Leeds uh, and yeah they're just stuttering and obviously now they are outside the top two on, on mm. merit Yeah, Blades 74 points four points behind Norwich and a point ahead of Leeds Sheffield United haven't conceded a goal for 630 minutes now ten and a half hours if Chris Wilder is the Football League manager of the season. It's a remarkable job he's w- done. Without question. Yeah. It's been absolutely unbelievable. And you consider some of the budgets and some of the squads that's involved in that division as well. And I think Daniel said it before, you know, we're talking about Swansea and how difficult it's been for them in a demanding division. Look at Sheffield United, absolutely. There seems to be a team like this every year that, 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 that do this. Uh, Huddersfield in the past have done it. Cardiff, of course, last season. But they've just been incredible. Week upon week, shocking teams with bigger budgets, better squads. And like you say, it's down to the manager, really. He has to get the majority of the credit. Mm. Premier League could be heading your way. Uh, We'll have more on that kind of thing uh, in our proper football podcast, the Totally Football League show, which is out on Tuesday. We'll also be touching on Villa moving into the playoff spot and Paul Scholes moving out of the Oldham job. Can you... So predictable. Really? To be honest, yeah. Yeah. I need to be careful what I say in some ways. Of course. But, but supposedly, um, the owners had more than more than a passing interest in in teams that have been named over the course of this season. And when when Paul came in, he, he asked for assurances that that type of thing wouldn't happen. Uh, the owner insists uh, that 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 didn't happen during what Paul's kind of time. Sorry, I'm mystified. Trying to change the team select, interfering in team selection. Oh, I see. Team right. selection yeah. tactics. Yeah. Um, even. Sort of, sort of the way that training had been scheduled and right. things like that, like um, basically interfering far too much in stuff that you shouldn't really have to interfere with as an right. owner. When Paul came in, he was given assurances that that wouldn't continue, that that would stop, and he'd be given sort of free reign to do whatever he wanted. Uh, and despite the owner insisting that that didn't happen, it, yeah. it, it sounds like it did. So, and um, um, and Paul stepped away. From Paul. Are the owners now stepping in and, and just doing it themselves? <laughs> they may as well, yeah. All right, fantastic. He's been in Dubai, he says, for two weeks, um, but I don't think that's even, I don't think that even stopped the level of interference by all accounts. Crikey. Anyway, more, as I say, in the Totally totally Football League show. Uh, Speaking, meanwhile, of teams visiting Leeds and leaving the locals unhappy, uh, myself, Rory Smith, Julian Lawrence, and James Horncastle will be at the Leeds City Varieties Music Hall on Monday, the 15th of April, for what they're calling Totally Football Live in Leeds. Tickets, Michael, are flying. Uh, so get yourselves to cityvarieties.co.uk to snaffle up, to spaff your funds on the few remaining uh, ones. 
Anyway, uh, Champions League draw. Let's get some red-hot, sizzling reaction from something that happened last Friday. Because the, 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 the quarterfinals look really good. I mean, everyone getting really excited about Man United-Barcelona, Ian. Absolutely. And City-Tottenham, actually, as well. I think well, that... well, I'm not as excited about really? that. Well, yeah, because they're playing each other three times in... Yeah, but forget in... the Premier League game for but a moment. But you can't. I mean, that's the thing. It, it, but that happens at the end, Spurs doesn't it? Spurs fan Johnny Blaine points out, it's a rubbish draw for so many reasons. No, the toughest no, team no. are not fun at all. At least get a good trip out of it. Well, he's going on from a Spurs perspective, yeah, I'm saying, sure. I don't think it's you a good know. draw from a Spurs perspective. No. Because if you were going to get... If you're going to go out to a better team, you'd rather have got Barcelona. Yeah, but if you're and Man have a City, don't you want to play? I don't know. I think these. I honestly think these have been arguably the most intriguing Premier League fixtures over the last Spurs, Man two City. or three years. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, because I think when two Premier League teams play each other in the Champions League knockout stage, I was find that fascinating. Chelsea. Remember that one? Well, yeah, well, that was ages ago. What oh, about good. United was Chelsea was good? You know, Arsenal Chelsea was good back in the day as well. I think, All right. to be honest, I, I find it but fascinating. Times in two weeks, they're going to face yeah, each but other. Just put the league one to one side because that comes after the second leg. You've All got right. two legs home and away, two Premier League teams going up against each other. Two good managers. Sorry, James. No, no, I was just going to say, and also the home leg's going to be at the new stadium. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. That's brilliant. <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, I yep. do think that when two Premier League teams go up against each other, yep. the fact they know each other so well, that they face each other so much, I, I do think that it often brings something a bit more fascinating to the table. Michael, are you fascinated? No, I prefer it when the Premier League teams are kept apart. And same with Serie A teams and La Liga teams. The whole point of the Champions League is you get fixtures you wouldn't usually see. I'm most excited about Juventus-Ajax. I think that's hey, a brilliant you. game. Yep. Ajax have been, you know... As good as they've been for the last 15 years or so. Juventus, I thought, were kind of on a downward curve, but that win last week was fantastic. They followed that up with a lovely 2-0 defeat this weekend. Yes, lost their unbeaten record, but that's, I mean, that's yeah. by the by, isn't it? They're and only also 15 it's, points clear now. Yeah, and also it's a, a nice kind of throwback when you consider that these were kind of the, the two teams to beat in the mid-90s that yeah. faced each other the 96th Champions League final, which was final, a great game. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited by that. I think it's the best one of the four. And, I mean, everyone excited about De Jong and De Ligt, but uh, Dusan Tadic has been the revelation of the season in player terms. Though. Yeah, he, at the Bernabeu, he was incredible. I mean, he's often played... In the Champions League, he's generally played up front as a kind of false nine and was unbelievable in that game. I mean, I've, I had no expectation that he would be destroying Rayo at the Bernabeu, but he was always a very good player for Southampton. He just a bit, fit, did he? Yeah, a bit inconsistent, maybe, but tremendous talent. So, yeah, that's the game of the round for me. OK, the winner of that will go through to face the winner of Man City Spurs, while Liverpool will be taking on Porto, yep. who they have happy memories of. 5-0 they won there at the Dregao last season. That draw answers definitively the, the question that Klopp's been asked repeatedly over the last few weeks about should he prioritise the Premier League? Because not only have Manchester City also got plenty of games as well as FA Cup games to come, um, that's as good a draw as obviously it could have hoped for. You know, it is disrespectful to Porto, but it is also the draw that everyone was hoping they would get. So, um, yeah, he will now look at it and think, you know, they are the only semi-finalists from last year who are still in the Champions League and they've got the easiest draw. So why not? I think the people who are most looking forward to this quarter-final are probably Ashley Young, Luke Shaw, Chris Smalling, <laughs> Victor Lindelof. Watching Lionel Messi last night, I, yeah. I do hope they had a big sofa okay, to hide so, behind. So United taking on uh, Barcelona, first leg at Old Trafford. Last two meetings between these two sides have been finals, the finals. Yeah. In both of them, Leo Messi has scored. Both have finished with Barcelona victories. He's in unbelievable form. He showed that against Spurs earlier on in the group stages. What he did against Betis then was 
I mean, shows that he's not slowing down. If anything, he's refining his art to something quite yeah. unprecedented. Yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, it just the third goal was incredible, and he's he's taken on different roles this season. He's played number ten. He can play from the right. He doesn't really play as a false nine anymore, but he can do if needed. Yeah, I mean, he's just got he can do anything that he wants. He's an incredible footballer. Lukaku, Rashford, etc. How much confidence are you filled with after their performance this weekend? I think the the biggest danger for Barcelona is that the the pressure is on them. I think La Liga will probably be wrapped up by then. So the pressure is on them to win Messi another Champions League title to draw level with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and the pressure is not on Manchester United. Solskjaer will tell his players, you've already got your you know, your free pass through because no one expects them to get past PSG, particularly after the first leg. So they can at least play with a freedom that says, go for it, because nobody's expecting them to get through. It might play to United's strengths as well, the fact that they're going to let Barca have the ball. I mean, some of the best displays they've had under Solskjaer against uh, sort of tougher opposition. They've just let the other team have the ball and tried to pick holes where possible. So actually over two legs, you know, it's going to be a massive, massive task to keep Barca out. But almost like the, the semi-final all those years ago in 2008, that was a lot about that. And Ronaldo missed the penalty in the first leg at Barcelona. But over two legs, it was all about Manchester United's defence trying to keep Barcelona out. Skull scored at, at home. They won 1-0 over two legs. You know, I can see an approach being similar to that. Whether they can do the same thing, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it, it, it will it will go that way. You can, you know, you can sort of map it out already that that's what the two approaches will be. Yeah, I mean, Leon gave them a, a, a bit of a go. They didn't look invulnerable against Leon in the last round. No, you can get at Barcelona. I, I think the defence, the issue with the defence is not necessarily the back four, but I think Busquets isn't isn't as mobile as he used to be and he wasn't that mobile at his peak. And I think in right back, I think there's a bit of a, a weakness there. But Barcelona is still a very good side. I mean, the player I think is underrated in terms of stopping him is, is Jordi Alba, who gives him the width and the pace and the directness. And he sets up so many of Messi's goals. So I think he's a player you have to pay attention to. OK. Jesse Lingard, right wing then. Mm. Could be. Europa League, meantime, will feature both Chelsea and Arsenal. Arsenal coming back from that 3-1 deficit away at Rennes and winning 3-0 at the Emirates. They'll now play Napoli, who lost 3-1 themselves, but still went through against Salzburg. Uh, Napoli, who, of course, got uh, done in the group stages by Liverpool, and uh, but had a nice win at the weekend, 4-2 against Udinese. Uh, Chelsea will be taking on Slavia Prague, who put Sevilla in one of the surprises of the Europa League. Uh, Chelsea themselves had a 5-0 win away in Ukraine over Dinamo Kiev, uh, featuring a Giroud hat-trick. I feel bad for Giroud. We don't see him more. I, I, I mean, I said it after, during that game and I went to, to Goodison on Sunday and <laughs> Gonzalo Higuain is not it at the moment. He's, I saw someone tweeted yesterday, I forget who it was, said they've managed to find the only striker slower than, than Giroud. Um, and it feels like that. He's getting odd chances, but he's not getting... His movement is not good enough at the moment. That he's easy when they only play one up front. He's easy to defend against. Um, he didn't have enough touches of the ball yesterday, and Eden Hazard prefers to play with Olivier Giroud. He said that before. I just think. I mean, he's probably going to leave in the summer, come what may. Now, I think. But when things aren't working, I don't see why you wouldn't give Giroud a go in the Premier League, especially when he's just scored a hat trick. Higuain scored what three goals in eight or nine games? I think yeah, two, two against those, Huddersfield, yeah, one against Fulham. One against Fulham so I still, I still think he'll be there next season, Giroud, because yeah. Higuain's not going to be there, no. and they'll probably get some other striker who's nippy and mobile. And you what think, happens to Higuain then? 
Well, he's only on loan, isn't he? Oh, Are they going to sign him back to Milan? Well, what happens maybe. with the transfer ban? With That's Higuain? an interesting question, actually. Can, can they sign Higuain because they've already got an agreement in place? Well, somebody was asking this, yeah, and I the did. other player that they it was Kovacic, who's yeah. already registered. But I don't they... think I think that registration will end um, before the end of before the beginning of the next transfer window, which means surely it would mean you'd have to re-register. Mm. So they they can't sign Higuain. No, I don't think so. Mm. Right. Although I, as I think I said on Thursday, I think there is don't... a bit of. Um, I still suspect Chelsea will be able to sign players this summer. I think the the idea that, that that's been ruled out, I think, is not quite true. I think they're going to try and rush through the case at Cast to try and get mm. an appeal. Shining a light amid all the confusion. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> uh, on a similar note, Michael, a lot of questions right now about how many Premier League teams potentially could be in the Champions League if people go and win lots of cups and things. Could you just break that down for us? I've got your tweet here, if that helps. Well, the maximum is five. Yes. And so that means that if... The Europa League and the Champions League was won by Premier League teams who both finished outside the top four. Yep. Then fourth place would not qualify for the Champions so League. So top four might not be... All this top four race mm. could well not be enough. And it sounds unlikely, but two of the well, last three Champions League winners, Liverpool and Chelsea, have finished outside the top four. And you wouldn't bet against Arsenal or Chelsea winning the Europa League and finishing outside the top four. So it right. could happen. So if, say, for example, Man United won the Champions League and Chelsea won the Europa League. And, yeah. Yeah, you can imagine that. Arsenal yeah. could get royally done by finishing finish fourth, fourth and not and getting not back go. in the Champions League. I've got to say, if anyone is going to get royally done, though, it will be Spurs, won't it? It's just, it's <laughs> yeah. just you know it's going to happen to Spurs. Well, that's why, actually, the race for the top three now is... is even more important in some ways. I mean, it's unlikely that that's going to happen, of course. But you know, why why take the risk? Mm. As the season goes on, if Manchester United are still outside the top four and still in the Champions League, then fourth place is going to get twitchier and twitchier, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about the race for the top three and the top one after this. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, hey, mate, mate. and always support my country. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty is dead. Live for rewards. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Premier League, everybody. Liverpool are back on top. Off that 2-1 win at Fulham... But I know someone who was there at Craven Cottage and thinks there might be trouble on the way for Jurgen Klopp's side, Michael Cox. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wasn't impressed by Liverpool. You wrote about your concerns for them. Well, I just thought it was it was an unconvincing performance against a team who have got the worst defence in the Premier League by a long way. I thought Salah again looked short of confidence or fitness or somewhere in between. Firmino, I think, is almost like the bellwether player for Liverpool. If Liverpool are playing well, he's playing well and vice versa. And Mane's different. Mane can continue to perform even if Liverpool are not playing well. And it was him that obviously scored the first goal and came up with the, you know, won the the penalty penalty for the second goal. But overall, I think it did fit into the pattern we've seen of Liverpool uh, over the past two months, I guess, of generally making harder work of things than than they should. And and there's some caveats here. They were coming back from a big performance in Bayern in midweek. But Fulham are just, they're there to be 
torn apart, aren't they? And I kind of expected them to do that, and, and that wasn't what happened. Yeah, Salah's form must be a major concern for them. I, I know they're obviously top of the league now at the moment with a two-point advantage, but I think he scored one goal in 10 games, Mo Salah. I mean, you know, you, he set himself such an incredible standard last year, also around Christmas this year as well. You know, he's he sort of stepped up his numbers a lot, but the last few weeks, like Michael's saying there, I don't know if it's confidence or fitness or what. Would Manny be scoring as many goals if Salah wasn't on the field? Well, maybe, and he has stepped up, hasn't he? In in sort of uh, in sort of the last few weeks, he's got eleven and eleven, I think, something like that. Sadio Mane, and of course, those two goals in in Munich as well. Uh, the first of which, absolutely incredible. So, he has stepped up. But you know, we had periods last year where the front three in unison were all fantastic, all at the same time, and were were absolutely blowing teams away. And I'm struggling to remember a game, a period of this season where where Salah, Mane, and Firmino have all played fantastically well. Uh, and, and it works really. They, they sort of found a way Liverpool to go through this season with players having periods of form, but but not collectively that front three working quite as well as it did in in, in last season. Weirdly, really, this this period of, of of quiet or drop off actually started with probably the only game where they have done it in unison, which was Arsenal at home when yeah, they true, they, yeah, they scored five and, and battered Arsenal. When you, mm. you thought hang on a minute, it's they clicked. really mean business now. And since then, it's just not quite been there. I I suspect it's fatigue with, with Salah. You know, it doesn't take a, a huge drop in energy for his levels of last season to just be beyond reach. Well, whatever's behind it, it was a surprising scoreline. 2-1, and it was towards the end that Liverpool actually got... Um, we, we won the penalty and the, the, thus the three points. Ryan Barbel equalising for Fulham after that mix-up from Milner's errant ball and then uh, Allison and Van Dyke, strangely. Mm. The bit of confusion there. I love the quote from Klopp afterwards. I asked Milner to come on and calm down the game. Uh, without him, it would have been 1-0. Uh, Ryan Barbel, of course, uh, actually putting that that opportunity away. Tony MC says, have you ever seen a player hate scoring a goal as much as Barbel against Liverpool? He looked visibly distressed. Yeah, he did. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, Italian-based examples of... I mean, do you remember, was it Fabrizio Micoli who scored against, was it Lecce? I Possibly, think I'm right he used saying. to play for Lecce. Yeah, yeah, so he scored against them for, I don't know, Saturday, Juve probably. I mean, someone yeah. like that. Yeah. And that was just before half-time and he had to go off, he had to be substituted at half-time because he was so <laughs> upset about it. That's worse than Babel. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was quite on that level. It was also a, a strange uh, side story where Babel had given an interview to the Times saying that he he knew where Van Dyke's uh, weakness was. Oh, now I'm not sure whether he would have specifically pinpointed, you know, underheading a slice up in the air from James Milner back to his goalkeeper. But they're off on uh, international duty together mm. um, this week for Holland, so I'm sure they'll be having a chat on the plane. Rup Can, or it might be Chan, says, "Ask Michael about a very funny moment that happened at the game he was at on Saturday involving wind." Yeah, that's that's wind of the uh, climatic type, I should say. Yeah, I mean, it was a for the third weekend in a row, it was horrendously windy across England, which basically made playing conditions almost impossible. And a non-league game I was at had a fantastic moment where the goalkeeper took a goal kick, tried to blast it up the pitch, it blew back to him. He then tried to kick it up the pitch again. It then blew back so far that it went out for a corner. And from the corner, they tried to put it in the box and it blew out for a goal kick. So it was just, it was just a waste of How time. How windy was it then? Yeah, there was, it was pointless playing the game. It was just, it was laughable. It was a 3-2 victory for one side, but more importantly, it was uh, four goals were scored by teams, the teams kicking with the wind and one against, if that makes sense. Right, yeah, so, no. yeah, it was farcical. Did you, did you, on a related note, did you see the Hungarian police using pepper spray on protesters? 
No. Uh, yeah, and they fail to account for wind direction, so they spray <laughs> okay. it all, and then they all wander off in floods <laughs> of tears. You, you shouldn't laugh. No. But, um, yeah. Anyway, right, wind. Now, the only other top six side in action this weekend failed to make up any ground at all because they were Chelsea and they lost 2-0 at Everton. Ian, as with the derby, it was the second half from Everton. What goes on in the dressing room? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Um, Andre Gomez spoke to on Thursday of last week and he was sort of... I came away from that interview thinking, hmm... Because he was really, really positive and upbeat about the way they were going to take on this game against Chelsea. He made sort of various statements. We want to give the fans a gift. Um, we want this to be a to be an example for us to follow for the rest of the year. This this needs to be our barometer. And their their form has been so patchy um, for the majority of this season. Sometimes players just say these things and you come away. But he actually genuinely believed him when he said it as well. And then you watch the game and he was right, you know. And Chelsea weirdly again good in the first half not good in the second Sarri criticising the players again it's like Groundhog Day almost right. Danny you were actually there at Goodison I was yeah okay yeah Everton were, were I mean Chelsea should have been leading at half time uh, Everton were poor in the first half I underestimated uh, the kind of anger amongst Everton supporters or match going Everton supporters towards Marco Silva they were fed up at half time you know, there were people shouting at the team as they were going off the pitch shouting at the manager it really was a kind of mutinous atmosphere and they needed something like that because Chelsea are a team that you score first against them at the moment and, and I think the last 10 times Chelsea have conceded the first goal in the game they've scored one goal in total in those 10 games and that's really? the Wolves game where they did it last minute through Eden Hazard so you score first against Chelsea and heads go down at the moment and that's a damning indictment, sadly, of, of Sarri's hold over the squad, I think. In, in the book of Premier League cliches, Goodison Park should be an unpleasant place to go and play football for the away team, not for the home team. But so much, so many times in the last few seasons, it's been a really unpleasant place for the home team to play. The crowd, home crowd has been so angry, they've been quick to get on the backs and they've just not been reaching the levels that's expected of them. But that stadium does does have a real effect on that team when it's behind them and when it's really pushing them on it it growls Goodison Park when mm-hmm. it's when it's really going and you know you sort of you think you need a manager in there and you need a squad in there that's really sort of harnessing that type of that type of atmosphere and I just don't know if they've found that that quite that level between the, the team and the fans in recent years all right meanwhile down at the bottom end of the Premier League Fulham as we Mentioned, uh, ended up with a defeat. Burnley lost. Liverpool, Newcastle came back to get a point away at Bournemouth. Felt unlucky not to get more, but there were heartbreaking scenes for bottom of the bar. Huddersfield, who were 3-1 up, a team that hadn't scored an away goal since Boxing Day, 3-1 up, uh, and then going on to lose 4-3 because they forgot to mark Chicharito. Yeah, especially for his first goal. I mean, he was in about 10 yards of space in the penalty box just after a corner, which was strange. I liked Hernandez's second goal because it reminded me a little bit of a goal he scored for Manchester United very early in his career and also of a goal that Jared Borghetti scored against Italy in 2002 World Cup. My favourite goal? One of my favourite goals, certainly. Yeah, so it seemed to be what I would call a Mexican header, this. A kind of of flip, yeah. Reverse a reverse header. I don't. I don't know what else you'd call it. Yeah. I'm going to call it the back of the wave. Actually, doesn't it? The net <laughs> forcing its way backwards, like the arms forcing their way up. Very I was going to go with Mexican, Mexican jumping waves, beans, but Mexican. you've taken the st- the national stereotype cliche on even further, which I like. Excellent. Okay, uh, those are the results. A couple of really good goals from Newcastle in that two-two draw away at the Vitality Stadium. Rondon free kick off that great Almiron run. 
And then Richie's finish on the uh, on the equaliser in the whatever it was ninety fourth minute. Yeah, I mean it was there was four minutes of added time, and I think he scored at ninety four oh one, which is great. I, it was interesting to see Bournemouth fans obviously on Twitter moaning that it was after the allotted time. And I think well, that's a stretch. One second. Also, afterwards. it's not allotted time. It's a minimum. It's of a minimum of Bournemouth yes. fans. Come on. Uh, only Liverpool, City, Arsenal and United, Man United, have picked up more points than Newcastle over the last nine games. Remarkable. Burnley are in trouble as well now Burnley. again. Burnley. I go through waves of being worried for Burnley. I'm in that phase again this week. Well, they um, got beaten by 10-man Leicester. For, for, well, Daniel's got a fantastic stat on uh, from that particular game. But... Come on then, Daniel. Uh, that is the longest gap between a substitute being brought on and scoring in Premier League history. So Wes Morgan came on after four minutes and scored after 89 so you don't like that, James. I mean, he's not. Okay, he's, I liked it. Anyway, okay. I'm worried Three about Burnley. One out of two for Brendan Rodgers. That's a stat. But Burnley have lost four in a row now. Yeah. The next three games, I've just been looking at it here: Wolves, Bournemouth, and Cardiff. Ooh. So already that that Burnley Cardiff game looks a biggie. But then after that, they've got Chelsea away, City at home, Everton away, Arsenal at home. They're at the two points above the drop zone. Cardiff have got a game in hand. I mean. The next three games look absolutely vital for Burnley, certainly. They didn't exactly take advantage of a one-man advantage, did they? And I think that links to the style of play. They pretty much continued to play direct football. and Let the other team have the incentive. Leicester just played one up front and it didn't really matter that they didn't have 11 men. Mm. One one thing from that game, James Madison played... Brendan Rodgers gets a lot of stick for various things, but it, I, I thought it was really nice to see it at the weekend. Last week, Madison wasn't named in the England squad, and Gareth Southgate said, well, we don't really play much with a number 10. So Rodgers played this kind of 4-2-3-1, but played Madison out on the left, almost like a Deli Alley position for England, where he kind of just drifts out. And Madison obviously scored the free kick and played really well. So I thought that was really interesting that having directly been told, well, we don't really play with a number 10, he said, well, actually, let's try you in a different position and see if you can do that, which can only help his England chances, I thought. Absolutely. Nice. Anyway, uh, still to come in this edition of the Totally Football Show, we're going to have a little look around planet football and we're going to explore a parallel universe in which things turned out very differently in a famous English football match back in the early 90s. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Jake Buzan says, Can we get more chat about rock, scissors, paper? In Korean, the order is scissors, rock, paper. And Daniel, already we're troubled by this because it's rock, paper, scissors, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's yeah, also, says Jake Buzan, in Korea, there's an advanced level of the game as a second chance or ultimate kill Jake I don't know what you mean but I want to so write in with more details of the advanced level second chance ultimate kill scissors rock paper I mean that sounds sounds very final that doesn't it yeah it sounds quite street fighter yeah Mm. I've never been convinced that paper should wrap the stone. I think the sto- I think stone could beat the paper. Yeah, if it's a heavy Just, stone, I mean, break through the paper. That's yeah, why we have paper weights, isn't it? Yeah. How big paper moving? Come on, how big's the rock as well? And how big's the piece of paper? Yeah. I'm not no. going to big as your fist, quite literally. Let's move on. In Italy, it was the <laughs> Milan derby. Yes, Juve lost earlier on, but whatever. It was nice though because Cesare Prandelli, who's come in as general manager, lovely to see him doing well. I like Cesare Prandelli. Uh, but the Milan derby, which had all sorts of drama heading into it, because first of all, Spalletti, who's into side, had been knocked out of the Europa League on Thursday night. It looked like a defeat here might bring his spell as Inter manager to an end. I think it probably will come to an end at the end of the season anyway. But meanwhile, for Inter, there was also the whole business about Icardi would eventually turn up or even come and watch the game in the 
in in the stands. He didn't, but 78,000 people did at San Siro for what was the biggest club gate for an Italian fixture ever. Milan started, uh, the opening minutes they were passing the ball around, they looked like Ajax or something, and then Vecino popped up and, and, and opened the scoring for Inter, and then it all, all went to pieces for Milan, poor people. They did come back in the second half, and to be fair, once they got it back to 3-2 with a slightly controversial goal, in the last 10 minutes they had two chances, one in particular from Cutroni, which D'Ambrosio made a goal-line clearance of with his... Um, I mean, he he basically he takes the ball, he goes into it leg splayed. I don't know why you would do that, block a ball with your leg splayed, but he did. Brave and man. He yeah, and and paid the ultimate. Well, paid a, a significant price. <laughs> the ultimate for the ultimate. Yeah. Cut off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that has happened to players it, before. So yeah. anyway, so the final what they had to cut. I remember being at a Blackburn game uh, <laughs> where like a dream, I think. Scott Dan's testicle were was stood on. And it exploded. They had to. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh no. Okay, Boom. we'll move on. We'll move on. Into one, three, two, and that was a vital win for them. Second win in a row, actually. And it was also good because it means they moved back into third place above Milan and of the other top four contenders. Listeners, if you're caring about these things, only Lazio won. Who Inter will be facing next after international breaks? Inter Lazio. That'd be good. Uh, Spain mentioned Messi's hat trick. The Suarez goal was pretty good as well, no? Yeah. He basically runs towards. He's got four defenders converging on him, and he does a little swerve that makes two of them crash into each other. Which is some people love a ball going off the the crossbar, but I love defenders crashing into each other. <laughs> and uh, so they they won that four one. Zidane got a winning start back at Real Madrid two nil at home to Celta Vigo. Bale and Isco both starting and both scoring. Atletico Madrid lost again. And they also lost, they lost at uh, Athletic Bilbao, but also at the Wanda Metropolitano, they lost to Barcelona 2-0 in the Women's Liga with a record crowd, just over 60,000 people for this game. Tony Duggan scoring for Barcelona. Oh, did she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. Yeah. 60,000, that's a proper... Uh, absolutely amazing to get right. that number. And it shows the popularity is just absolutely skyrocketing, isn't it? As, that, does the, so. as does the fact that the offside rule of the you know foremost female football podcast has just kind of merged, joined forces with Muddy Knees Media, who are very much the home of Totally Football Show. So, I mean, the synergy is crackling around us. In France, Le Classique was Sunday night, and you were watching, Michael... Yeah, it was a good game, actually. Took a while to get going. PSG won 3-1 over Marseille. I'd say there was three interesting things that happened here. One was Angel Di Maria was absolutely sensational. A player who I think is absolutely wonderful and has always played a backseat role, really, at Real Madrid and PSG. But with uh, Neymar out and Cavani out, he played almost as a second striker. Him and uh, Mbappe were fantastic. Okay. Two? Two. Well, Di Maria, having scored two very good goals... Uh, PSG then won a penalty in the final minute. Di Maria was very interested in taking this. Mbappe was not having any of it. Mbappe stepped up and, of course, the penalty was saved. So Di Maria was not happy about that. And the other interesting thing was that Marseille's goal was scored by uh, Valais-Germain against Paris Saint-Germain. Oh, that's nice. Which is, in a way, a shame that Balotelli didn't score it because... Yeah, Balotelli uh, supposedly was wearing a T-shirt with Marcus Rashford's face on it, which he was uh, <laughs> he was getting ready to unveil uh, had he found the net, which it must be said he didn't come close to, oh, and really? then was uh, substituted off when Steve Mondondo was dismissed. 
MLS is back. It's on to the third round, actually. And this weekend, who should score their first ever hat-trick in MLS? Rooney. Wayne Rooney. DC United, who are now top of the table, beating Rail Salt Lake 5-0. It wasn't best goal in that game, by the way, because Rooney set up a, what's known in... Or was known in school playgrounds at the time when I was there was a, a, a poor goals, which is the goal from a corner where Rooney plays it straight from the corner to the edge of the area and on the volley. I don't know who scored it, but scored a left foot scissor volley. It was absolutely beautiful. All right. I'd call it a Mendieta. Okay, hipster. <laughs> Champions Atlanta. Does it have to go in off the bar to be a Rooney? No, no, no. 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 no, no, no. Champions no, Atlanta. Do you know who their new manager is? Oh, well, um, yeah, I do. Deboer. Frank Deboer. Yeah. Do you know, this courtesy of uh, Good Brand Stats, he has failed to win any of his last eight league games in three different countries? Jose at- Mourinho will be paying attention to that, won't yeah, he? Sure, yeah. <laughs> three games, two draws and one defeat in MLS so far for Frank de Boer. It's an interesting choice, you know, at Atlanta. But anyway, um, right, good. And that's the football. The football that actually happened. But what about, listener, the football that didn't happen? In many ways, that's the more intriguing and we'll discover more when we play Michael Cox's Flip Reverse It. Yep, Blazing Squad there, who narrowly won out the title race for this particular segment over uh, Twilight Zonal Marking which was clever. Whose was that? Was that you, Daniel? Mm, yeah, apologies. too clever, I would say. Anyway, this basically is our opportunity to take a famous match and replay it and see maybe what earth-shattering consequences that would have for the rest of our whole reality timeline thing. Mm. And before, listener, you go, why are they wasting time with this nonsense? Let me tell you that time isn't what you think it is. Only last week, physicists managed to reverse time inside a quantum computer. It's true. Is that, that, just like that, sound- is that like they just quit their football manager game without <laughs> saying it, it, it makes it sound like they've gone into settings and just changed the time to an hour ago. Yeah, I did that I by change time on a computer, mate. No, 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 no. This, at a subatomic scale, okay. when basically uh, quantum mechanics is, is doing its mechanical quantuming, uh, basically... There's a kind of like a wave function where every event has a, a series of knock-on. It's like a ripple passing out through possibilities, Butterfly right? Effect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I'm summarising here. Sure. But what they managed to do was reverse the ripple. So they got the uh, stream of knock-on effects to basically reverse, which uh, it was described as like putting spilled milk back in a bottle. Mm. Uh, but and, and that's what they managed to do, or something like that. But it's really important. Is is reversing something going back in time, or would you have to undo it? I don't know. I mean, I guess in a, in a, a level that if they I'm, were I'm able to extrapolate to that, that mm. to everything, mm. then yeah. I actually anyway. Well, that, but Daniel, yeah, well, I feel like we've over overplayed what I'm about back to do. To, yeah. uh, Twenty-eight years ago. Yes. What they might do is take us back to a sunny May day. In North London, May yeah. the 18th, 1991, a share rings out across the nation's transistor radios with the Shoop Shoop song. Does 
two teams are taking the field for the FA Cup final. Wembley, that's where it is. And um, yeah, I've gone for what might initially sound as a very uh, self-obsessed reason. It's Nottingham Forest versus Tottenham Hotspur in the 1991 right. FA Cup final. Which, for those of you who don't know Ian Irving, uh, Des Walker know. scored an own goal to give Tottenham the win. So on a very personal level, it was the first game I cried at because I was only five years old. But in terms of ripple effect... You know who else cried that day? Paul Gascoigne. He did. I'm going to start with the Forest reasons first. Brian Clough's lack of FA Cup, the trophy he didn't win, mm. uh, gnawed away at him. He, In his autobiography, he, he wrote, I should have retired after the 18th of May 1991, and I would have done. But that day I witnessed the worst refereeing decision in my 40-odd years in football. The FA Cup final, the only one in which I was involved. Nottingham Forest against Tottenham Hotspur and Wembley stank to its rafters. So yes, uh, not necessarily on the result, but Paul Gascoigne's horrific tackle on Gary Charles should have been sent off. Gascoigne coming across. Oh, that's a dreadful challenge! Nottingham Forest went on not to win. If Forest had won, then Clough would have retired. Forest would have qualified for the Cup Winners' Cup for European football for the first year after the Heysel ban ended. Uh, so I think we'd probably have been able to attract a fairly high-profile manager given that they're in Europe. But also on the flip side of that, Paul Gascoigne was injured. He'd already signed for Lazio at that point. He was injured for a year with that injury. And it was at that point that he really spiralled into uh, his alcoholism. Um, he was a man who needed football to keep him busy, shall we say, and football couldn't keep him busy over that period. Had uh, he not been injured that day, would Spurs still have sold him? Because although the deal yes. was kind of in place, that I remember it was still being very uncertain for that whole year, would the deal go through or not? There'd been a change of ownership at Lazio. They Can had, I think I think the through. deal was in place. Lazio officials were at Wembley to watch the game. Uh, and yes, I think the deal would have still gone ahead. They, they, they then immediately went to, I think it's a Queen Mary's Hospital in London to visit him okay. and reassured him that they still wanted the move to go ahead. So I think having reassured him that it would still go ahead with the injury, they, it would have certainly gone through without it. Oh, right. But he would have hit mind, the ground running. You, do, you know, like where in films, when they change the past, the pictures kind of, they fade out, yeah? And I had a, I was imagining pictures of me in Italy for the 90s. I'm just vanishing out of them. And finally. as well, less importantly. Finally. Yeah. England have Gascoigne at Euro 92, don't flop as spectacularly as they did, and Graham Taylor has a very different reputation as England manager moving forward, I think. That's amazing. What would have happened to the documentary? Would it have actually been... Yeah, good... James would have been out of work. Wouldn't have been as good a watch, would it? Well, no, because I, I didn't would actually Would you have do... gone out? Would you have... Would I? I mean, I still would have gone to Italy, but except would there still have been that crescendo of interest in Gascoigne if he had been playing football? Because one of the key things behind... Mm. No, that's true, because the yeah. reason that the, 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 the Channel 4 bought the rights was because the documentary makers were talking to Paul, and Paul went, it's such a shame when I finally come back and play football... You'll have nothing that, to that do. No one will be, no one no, no one will be yeah. able to see it in England. They went, oh, interesting. So if they hadn't been making that documentary, they wouldn't have had the idea or the conversation with Paul, and, oh, my God, I'm fading out of that photograph again. <laughs> Here's producer Ben talking to Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. It is, as you say, as always, time to talk odds with Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, let's start with the FA Cup. Now that the semi-final draw has been made, give us the overall here, please. Well, we thought they were out at one point, but now they're the only team in it for our traders. City are 4-11 to win the FA Cup. Massive, clear favourites, as you would expect. Wolves, second favourites. They were the Dark Horses not so long ago. They're 4-1. Depends on the draw this, but Watford are 9-1 and Brighton really unfancied here, 18-1. Liverpool, of course, returning to the top of the Premier League after that win at Fulham. What's that done for the title picture? 
yeah, spot the trend here. Despite yesterday's results, City are 4-11 for the Premier League. That might sound familiar for anyone who's been listening for the last 12 seconds. Uh, Liverpool are 2-1. That's massive value given that they've got the easier run in. They are top of the table uh, and have some momentum behind them. Still City for us though, Ben. And finally, if we cast our mind back to Friday, it was the Champions League draw. Give us the markets for this, please. Yeah, your spidey sense must be tingling, Ben. You're absolutely right. City are favourites again here. They're not odds on this time, though, so that's refreshing. They're 23 to 10 to win the Champions League. Juve really well backed over the last week since that Ronaldo show. They're 3 to 1. Barcelona, this is unbelievable value, I think. 7 to 2 to win the Champions League. And then you've got the English teams Liverpool, 4 to 1. United, 16 to 1. Spurs, 25 to 1. Ajax and Porto, forget about it. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org and when the fun stops, stop. I wonder if they're aware about, you know, the researchers reversing time in their quantum physics, because that would, that would have ramifications, wouldn't it? Mm. Anyway, Totally Football returns on Thursday uh, with on board Julian Laurence, James Horncastle and oily sailor himself, Duncan Alexander, which will be good because it's the start of international break. So we'll have loads to talk about with the, the teams... The situation and the European... It's qualifying, isn't it, for the next European yeah. Championship? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. Listener, if there's yeah. something you'd like us to talk about, then, you know, write in, let us know. And uh, it'll be a fun show. It'll be a busy smorgasbord of top soccer chat. Uh, You've got a big week ahead of you, Michael? You looking forward to the internationals, for example? Not really. No, okay. No. <laughs> I will be at Wembley on Friday. Brilliant. E- England playing... Czech Republic. All oh, right. And how about you then, Ian? Yeah, it's a bit of a relaxed week for me. No Premier League action. That's okay. good. You're off to speak to fans worldwide now on Premier League TV, isn't that right? Ian? Someone's got to do it, James, haven't they? You know. Right. Well, I'll be there tomorrow. So Harness those look opinions. out for me, viewers. Uh, anyway, so well, listen. Thanks everybody for coming in today, and I uh, hope you have a splendid week. We're back on Thursday. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.